today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. The worst that suffering can do is store up more eternal rewards for you. If you were to look back from the perspective of eternity, suffering, pain, hurt cannot ultimately wound you. They cannot ultimately hurt you. All that they can do is provide an opportunity for you to glorify God and store up more eternal rewards that will never fade, that are undefiled, kept in heaven for you. So Peter encourages us, don't fear. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. This life you will suffer through trials and tribulations. Jesus said that if you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. These are promises we don't like to name and claim. <laughs> we like to place our faith in happy promises that will give us joy and blessings in our lives. Pastor Ricky will be explaining that when we go through persecutions because of simply being a Christian, we can rejoice because we will receive a blessing in eternity. As you obey God, you're storing up for yourself treasure in heaven. Now, let's join Pastor Ricky for part two of his message entitled, Your Blessed Life Now. Peter brings up that you may suffer for righteousness' sake. Now, maybe you won't join in the crude joking at your workplace, and your boss doesn't like that, so you get passed over for a promotion. Maybe you speak up about something at work that you think is, is maybe just over the line of being ethical and you find your bonus a little smaller than last year. Maybe you try to reach out to a mo another mom in your mom's group that the other moms don't like and you find yourself on the outside with her. See, in this sinful world that we live in, suffering can be the very result of righteousness. Sometimes suffering and opposition means you're headed in the right direction. And this can apply even to spiritual opposition. I wish you could say more about this, but, but in the book of Job, Satan hates Job precisely because he is righteous and he seeks to follow God. I, I heard a pastor say this one time, look, if you're getting shot at, it might mean you're flying over the right target, right? Satan may not be a fan of what you're doing. And I've, I've seen this. Sometimes when people get a heart for mission or decide to follow the Lord, all of a sudden they find trials and tribulations in their lives. Some suffering is the result of actually trying to follow God. Third, some suffering is the result of just sin's effects in a broken world. The Bible tells us that sin has broken the world, that God's original good creation and the world that was created to be at harmony is broken. This general brokenness of the world is, is why we have snake bites and colds and earthquakes and cancer. None of that stuff was as God intended in the beginning. So some suffering we may not understand. We may not understand why someone gets killed in a car accident, or we may not understand why a stray bullet takes the life of one of our fellow soldiers in combat. We live in a fallen world, and we feel the effects of this world every 
day. And humanly speaking, we may not ever understand it beyond the fact that we live in such a broken world with its source being the brokenness of sin. But fourth, and this is important, suffering is not outside God's sovereign will. It is better to suffer, Peter says, for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This verse is a beautiful paradox on the sovereignty of God. It says that it may be God's will for us to suffer as we do good, but then it encourages the reader, well, don't suffer for doing evil. So on the one hand, it says, listen, God is totally in control. And on the other hand, it says, hey, you have a decision to make here. Now, we see in scripture with utter and absolute clarity that nothing in the universe happens apart from God's sovereign will. He is sovereign over all things and all storms and all decisions and every body cell and every star. And yet our choices are full of meaning. And choosing to follow God results in something and turning away from God results in something. So how do we put these things together? Well, Peter doesn't pause here to help us put it together, but I think we can say this. We are creatures. God is, is a creator. And if God in his word says two things that in our mind seem a paradox, we affirm them and rejoice. How is God, how is Jesus both fully God and fully man? I don't know. We affirm it and we rejoice. How is God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I don't get that. We affirm it and we rejoice. How can God be utterly sovereign over everything in the universe and still say that what we do matters. We affirm it and we rejoice. But Peter gives us this in a very particular way because it is a comfort above all comforts in the midst of suffering. Romans 8.28 says this, God causes all things, not just some things, but all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Every accident, every tragedy, every small daily suffering, listen, Christian, is not meaningless, but it is full of meaning because God's sovereign will is using it for your eternal good. Suffering is not outside of God's sovereign will. Last year, I was talking to two folks from the church who have dealt with extremely serious and even life-threatening health issues, and both said almost the same thing word for word. They said, this has been harder than I ever could have imagined, but I would not trade it for anything. They found the blessing of Christ even in their suffering. And two things begin to happen as we go through suffering. The first is that it makes the eternal blessings that are ours in Christ more bright and real and sure than they ever were before. See, when things are going well, when we think we're gonna live forever, the biggest problem that we suffer from is a long commute or a bad performance review. But friend, when you've got a diagnosis that could end your life in a matter of years or months, the reality of eternity breaks into your life. And you think, listen, I may have this, but I'm blessed. 
But second, you find glimpses of eternal purpose in the midst of suffering. See, we can't see everything that God is doing in the midst of suffering. But I, I believe God does give us glimpses of his purpose in the midst of suffering. That a year later, two years later, or five years later, we look back and we say, listen, I don't know exactly what God was doing there, but he did this and he did this. He did this in my family and this in my kids and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So friend, if you're you're reading this well, if you're understanding what the Bible says, be prepared for suffering. Don't be surprised by it. But listen, suffering does not change the blessing of salvation that you have received. Suffering does not change the blessing of salvation in our eternal inheritance. Listen, from an eternal perspective, the worst that suffering can do is store up more eternal rewards for you. If you were to look back from the perspective of eternity, suffering, pain, hurt cannot ultimately wound you. They cannot ultimately hurt you. All that they can do is provide an opportunity for you to glorify God and store up more eternal rewards that will never fade, that are undefiled, kept in heaven for you. So Peter encourages us, don't fear. Don't be troubled. Be blessed, even in suffering. But then he adds this. Here's the third point. Be blessed, even in suffering, sharing your hope. Let's say that together. Be blessed, even in suffering, sharing your hope. Sharing opportunities often abound in the midst of suffering. There is no perfect time to share your faith. And in fact, sometimes suffering is the closest thing we get to the perfect time to share our faith. See, when we encounter the hardships of this world, it should reveal something inside of us as Christians. It should reveal the fact that we have a hope outside of this world. I love our friend Todd Peterson's example that as he was being treated at MD Anderson, uh, last year for cancer, he felt like God told him, and he shared this before with the church, I'm sharing it here, he felt like God told him that when you go do these visits, I want you to wear this one shirt you have. And he thought it was a weird shirt, but he did it anyway, and it had a picture of a guitar pick on it, and it said, pick Jesus. And so as he sat in waiting rooms or talked to doctors, he just used it as his opportunity to talk about Jesus. They would say, well, you seem like you should be having a terrible day and you seem like you're smiling a bit. Are you okay? And he says, oh yeah, it's because of, you know what, can I explain something to you for a few minutes? And he would just share. Sometimes suffering provides the perfect opportunity to share our hope. When I was in college, uh, this this applies to big things and and little things. When, When I was in college, my advanced level humanities course was I didn't know this when I signed up for it, was sort of a radical feminist women's studies class. So I show up, I get the syllabus, and I think, I, I thought, I probably should have paid more attention when I registered. So the professor there was, was just regularly, as part of the class, putting down and making fun of Christians for their views on women. It's a women's studies class, he's bashing Christians regularly, and I'm, I'm not now, look, I'm not suffering in a way that, you know, I have cancer or something, but there was social pressure. It could be, this could be big suffering or little suffering to the point where every week in class, you go to get your daily dose of why Christians are stupid. And so 
I realized at a certain point, though, something about the class. I realized, well, well, he's bringing it up so we could talk about it, right? I mean, if he's bringing up Christianity, we might as well have a discussion about it. So I began to think, okay, maybe I'd be able to actually engage with this a little bit here. Peter is saying the same thing. Listen, in those points of suffering, you may have a perfect place to engage other people with the hope that is in you. See, I don't think this is totally just passive, where always being prepared to make defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. This, this word defense, or in your Bible it may say apology, is sort of a courtroom word for an apologetic, to provide a legal defense. That if, if something is happening, that I think it's reasonable to say, hey, listen, I have a different perspective, and this is what my perspective is. This is a defense of what I believe and, and what my hope is. We have to recognize in these moments that sharing is a blessing. Sometimes the blessing that comes to us as we follow God is that we're provided through God's blessings with more opportunities to share. One of the things you have to remember is that in 1 Peter 2, we're called to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And in that context, more opportunities to share the excellencies of Christ is itself a blessing. Now, you may think, wait, I, that's not exactly the blessing I was thinking of when I began this message. I was thinking more along the lines of the job, health, like, oh, well, those can be blessings. So can opportunities to share the gospel. See, sometimes we just want to get on with our lives and we don't want to see the opportunities in front of us as blessings. We want a, the blessing of a vacation, the blessing of a workplace award. Um, I remember sitting in this class, I wanted the blessing of an A, right? And God was like, well, I have a different blessing for you. It's to lovingly engage your classroom. And I was like, well, I don't want that blessing. I'd rather have the A. Can I pick? He said, no. So sharing is a blessing, but sharing requires being ready and prepared. Peter charges them to always be prepared to make a defense. Now, this, as I said, this word defense means an apologetic. This is a formal courtroom kind of word. So you don't just roll up into the courtroom with like reviewing the case two or three minutes before you're about to present, right? That would not be good. If your lawyer is doing that, please find another lawyer. Um, be ready. Look at the evidence. Have questions prepared. Have your statements prepared. Now, this requires a couple of things. It requires you to be grounded in a clear biblical worldview and understanding of the gospel. And it requires you to be able to explain those things in a way that makes sense to the other person. Okay? In other words, you have to know what the Bible says about God and then know the people in front of you well enough to explain what the Bible says about God in a way that makes sense to those people. And I think that's very important because it's really not helpful if you just, you know, sort of have like, okay, this is what the Bible says about God, and I'm going to use a bunch of Christianese, and they're not going to understand it at all. That's not going to be helpful. An apologetic, a defense, means you're persuasive, means you understand your audience and are going, okay, how can I share my hope in a way that sounds compelling and understandable to the person in front of me? So, for my radical feminist women's studies class, I had to make a final presentation. And so I did mine on the inherent value of women in the view of the Bible. And so 
knowing the audience, I thought, okay, I'm not going to be able to share the whole gospel, but how can I share some elements of this? And so one of the things I pointed out was, well, you have a couple different options to provide enduring and unchanging value for women. Um, If you're looking at women from an evolutionary perspective, essentially at the end of the day, you're reduced to women. Women's value is totally biological. It's however they've evolved to be stronger or better than the men around them. That's why they would be valued. But weak women, no value. Sorry. But in a similar way, cultural value being assigned to women, we we think of ourselves, oh, we're such an advanced culture. We're always going to value women. No, no, history doesn't say that. History turns on a dime. And if you're a woman, um, you, you don't want your value tied to the whims of culture around you, do you? Because it could be in vogue that all of a sudden all the guys go, you know what? I liked it better when women were subjugated. Let's go back to that. You don't want your value tied to that. So essentially then your, your, your value is just a bunch of cultural preferences. But what I argued was, okay, only the image of God provides enduring value because your value is outside of your biology and outside of your culture. It means no matter how weak you are, no matter how um, different your culture thinks of you, you're made in the image of God and you have value because of that forever. So I didn't get the whole gospel in there, but I think I got some elements of the gospel, who God is a little bit, who humanity is a little bit, began to engage some of the classmates around that. And, and what I'm saying is, you don't have to make a presentation on this in a women's studies class in order to, to fulfill this verse, right? M- much more often, it looks like you and your coworker talking about whatever, and you sharing the difference that believing in God and the gospel and Jesus makes to that area of your life. It may be marriage, as we talked about earlier. It, it may be there, th- th- this guy is just not wondering why his life feels so unfulfilling when he's sleeping with a bunch of women and he has a wife with two kids at home. And you're able to share why your hope is different and the picture of the gospel embedded in marriage in a way that makes sense to him. Sharing requires being prepared, but it also listen, requires gentleness and respect and a good witness. There's a part of that story that I left out because I seem relatively heroic in the classroom up to this point. I skipped over the fact that the first time I raised my hand and waded into the Christian debate in my classroom, I began with the memorable line, hey, we're not all idiots and then launched into a tirade. Now, I remember, it's funny, I remember this. It was like 19 or 20. I remember leaving the classroom, thinking about this verse and going, that was a defense. That's what, I mean, that guy was talking about. Always be ready to give a defense. And I was, I give him a defense. And then I went home and I I remember thinking I should read this verse, you know, and, and try to use it in the class. And then I read, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yes, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so then I thought, okay, that wasn't good. See, it's not enough to simply defend the faith, defend the gospel, defend your belief in Jesus if it's not done in a Jesus-like manner, right? And it requires a good witness. It requires you to live your life in such a way that it's not hypocritical when you say this stuff. So I ended up making an appointment with my professor, going to the professor, and apologizing for my tirade in class. 
And what was really hilarious is the professor had like no category for what I was doing. So like, I came in and I was like, here's, here's what I've done. That was wrong. This is what Jesus says to do. I was not a good witness. I need Jesus. Would you forgive me? And he was like, okay, I don't know. How, he, he was like, well, you know, I, I, we want all kinds of perspectives to, to, to be shared. And, and I was like, no, 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 listen, man, I really messed up. I'm sorry. I feel like I sinned against you, man. And I, listen, that's why I need Jesus. So I'm asking for your forgiveness. And I kept asking for his forgiveness and he just didn't know what to do with that. So eventually I left, but before I left, he said, this is a little odd because I don't think anyone has ever done this before. And I thought, you know what? I think that was more valuable than my tirade. I think that's more winsome than my tirade in the middle of class. Friends, don't, don't neglect sharing your hope, but with a witness that upholds that hope and the evidence of what it's done in your life. And very briefly, let's look at the last point. Looking to Jesus. I'm not going to be able to spend much time on this at all, but I do want to at least sound this note. I'm just going to read two verses here. Verse 17 says this, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. What does this call us to do? It calls us to look to Jesus who suffered like us. See, when we suffer, we often think no one understands. God doesn't understand my life. My church doesn't understand my life, but that's wrong because Jesus walked through the same broken world that we do. He experienced hurt and loss and temptation and suffering, but the difference is that Jesus walked to the end of the path and experienced far more suffering than we ever will. On the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that ultimate curse of severing the relationship between God and man, that ultimate curse fell on him and he bore the unfiltered wrath of God for us. He suffered like us, but he suffered for us. Peter says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He was perfectly righteous and without sin. He deserved every blessing of scripture that could be stored up. While we, the unrighteous, deserved every curse of scripture to fall on us, but he exchanged places for us. He said, I'll take your curse, you take my blessing. That's what Jesus has done for us, that he might bring us God, that that ultimate blessing would be secured for us in a way that could never be shaken. Hoping God, oh my soul, He is strong and He's strong to save. Hoping God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Hope is something that many people have little of, and yet we clamor for the latest this or that, believing that our longing for hope will be fulfilled. Pastor Ricky will be teaching through the book of 1 Peter here on Better News Radio. 
we'll learn that hope is something that is beyond this world and that our lives will become holy once we hope in the eternal. For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. That's betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Better News Radio Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio. Better News Radio.